Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is just a warning that this episode has some harsh language, all uttered by me. I regret nothing. But if it's too intense for you, you might want to skip it. Six years ago, before one single tweet got Steve Terrell banned from Rwanda for life, he was just your average Westerner volunteering in Kigali. As I was teaching English at a uh, non-governmental organization there, some students there brought to my attention a problem where they were having their funds, their money was being stolen by some people. And and I, I brought the story to a couple of newspapers and I said, why don't you write this? And they said, why don't you write it? So he did. Before long, Steve transitioned from volunteer work to journalism. In 2010, he started a blog about the country's elections. And from there, he basically just fell ass-first into doing writing and photography for AFP, Radio France International, the LA Times, and a bunch of other outlets. One surprising thing about covering Rwanda is Rwanda's president, Paul Kagame. On the one hand, Kagame is notoriously anti-press. The Committee to Protect Journalists said the nicest thing they could tell me about him is that he hasn't arrested any journalists this year. At the same time, Kagame uses the internet with a frequency and uninhibitedness that's unusual for a 56-year-old president. He's definitely the most uh, accessible head of state uh, vis-a-vis Twitter. Um, and he's gotten into arguments with journalists. He's said some things, you know, maybe he shouldn't have said and uh, made some important statements on Twitter. Um, Mia Farrow tweeted something to him at one point about maybe he shouldn't be supporting rebels in the Congo. And he wrote back something, you know, really angry, like, oh, maybe you should just stick to things you know about, you know, mind your own business. You don't know what you're talking about. In fact, the entire Rwandan state is very interested in who says what on social media. Both the government and the military employ armies of trolls, a la Russia, to go after their critics. So almost as long as I've been on Twitter, I've been um, harassed by Rwandan government accounts. This is Laura C., an assistant professor of government at Colby College. She tweets a lot about East Africa. You've been harassed by dozens and dozens of accounts or uh, – or I would say hundreds. Pe- hundreds yeah. of accounts. yeah. They definitely follow a pattern. I mean it was clear to me that if it wasn't one person, then there was certainly like a central point of direction about here's what you need to tweet on on a given day. And I remember one day I got several tweets from different accounts that all called me um, a white lady know-all, meaning know-it-all, but but it was in that very specific language. And they all said it exactly the same way, um, white lady know-all. For foreign journalists, dealing with trolls is mostly just an inconvenience particularly compared to the very real threats of violence or death that local journalists face. You just learn to ignore the trolls, for the most part. But once in a while, one really sticks out. One is just special. You know, one is just moi. You know, it's just that perfect, you know, saucant of like uh, being offensive and (laughs) relevant all at the same time. And that's what this Richard Goldston was. The troll Steve couldn't stop paying attention to was a Twitter user named Richard Goldston. Like a lot of people who tweet anonymously about politics, Richard Goldston was an asshole. The kind of person who would refer to South African President Jacob Zuma as simply a black retard or suggest that the Congo ought to be sold to private developers. But anonymous assholes with strong political opinions are not unusual online. What made Richard Goldston stand out was that he seemed surprisingly close to the Kagame government. Among his followers were more than 40 of the top government offices in Rwanda, the Minister of Defense, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the President's office. 
And it was like, wait a second, why are all these people following this guy? In January, I decided to write to the president's office and just ask them, just say, you know, do, do you know anything about this? Kagame's communications director, Yolande Mikolo, got back to him saying, Don't be crazy. Like, who knows who anyone is in, in the Twitter world? And <laughs> how could we possibly know? And you can't really seriously be indicting us just for following someone. I mean, who knows who we're following? Anyone could be anyone. And for a minute, I was thinking, wow, maybe I am crazy. Maybe this is just some guy. And then about a week later, I was using uh, Topsy, which is a Twitter analytics tool, and I found some very early tweets by this guy where he was arranging interviews for the president. Quote, please send your queries to hunchimira at presidency.gov.rw and we'll be able to assist. That email address belongs to Hassan Unchimira, a media analyst in the president's office, a guy Steve knew personally, someone who he'd had drinks with in the past. So in January, Steve fired a warning shot. He told the president's office that he knew Goldston's real identity and that they should consider a policy that people only tweet under their real names. And for six or seven weeks, it worked. The tweet stopped. And then one day he started again. Richard Goldston returned in the beginning of March. He accused a reporter named Sonia Rowley of having had an affair with one of her sources, a Kagame opponent named Patrick Karagaya. Karagaya had been murdered just a few months before in a South African hotel room. Most people suspected the Kagame government. To accuse Sonia of having slept with him was a particularly ugly insult. And I just chirped in quickly. I said, please don't start the misogynistic harassment again. And he wrote back. He said, well, what's it to you? And I realized, you know, maybe he doesn't think I really know who he is. I said, would you like me to call you? I can call you or I can email you. And a tweet came from the president's account, President Kagame's official Twitter account. And it said, go ahead, hero. I don't hear my phone ringing. I don't see no emails. The president of Rwanda was taunting Steve on the internet. I was stunned. I thought the president's tweeting to me and he's defending this guy. Or it, it was the president the whole time. But then I figured out that, no, it's this guy who works in the president's office, who has access to the president's Twitter account, who was angry. This part of the story is nauseatingly familiar to anyone who's ever managed both their own social media account and their employers. Hassan composed a tweet meant for Goldston and then accidentally sent it not as Goldston, but as the president of Rwanda. It was an own goal moment, someone called it, you know. The fallout was swift. The Goldston account was deleted, and the president's office released a statement that the employee responsible had been reprimanded. And the president really went to great lengths to make sure no one could ask him, did he know about it? This is a guy that would tweet a dozen times a day. And after this, he stopped, completely stopped tweeting. Um, quarter million followers and uh, his way of communicating with people. And he shut down. And I was sad about that because I admired him for his Twitter presence. Steve didn't set out to expose Richard Goldston. Remember, he was actually trying to protect the president's office by deliberately not releasing this information. He was just trying to step in and defend a colleague, and Unchimira exposed himself, which makes what happened next seem a little nuts. Kagami's tweet to me was on March 2nd, and I was scheduled to arrive in Rwanda on March 15th, reporting for Al Jazeera, Christian Science Monitor, USA Today, and the Toronto Globe and Mail. And I had a you know, two-week, three-week reporting trip scheduled with photographers and uh, videographers, and I was blocked from entering the country when I landed. 
he wasn't given any explanation for his ejection at the airport. Later, the Rwandan immigration Twitter feed said he was denied entry due to a 2012 drug arrest in the U.S. The ban appears permanent. It's not just that Steve's professional life as a freelancer in Rwanda is over. He'd reported there for six years. Most of his close friends live there. His fiancée is Rwandan, and she still lives there. Looking back on it, Steve regrets getting involved. If I had it to do again, I would have let it go. I would have, I would have backed off. You know, what happened was the person running this account made a mistake, and I helped. I think I helped to push them to be in a, maybe an uptight situation where they were going to make a mistake. And on some level, maybe I knew that. And I wish I hadn't done that now because then this wouldn't have been revealed and I'd be able to come and go from the country and my life would be mine and many other people's lives would would just continue normally. It's tough. It feels like you have exposed this great misdeed and it's, it's redounded really negatively for you. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it's a great misdeed. I mean, it's like the kid teasing another kid on the back of the school bus. I mean, how bad is it, right? I think the people who were exposed kind of took it more seriously than anyone else. Um, Some people are just very sensitive, very image conscious. The sound you're hearing right now is one of the dozens of calls that I made to the president's office in Rwanda. In spite of these calls, emails, and tweets to the president's office, I never got any reply. Meanwhile, besides Steve's exile, not much in Rwanda's changed. Kagame is now tweeting again, albeit a little more cautiously. Steve and Laura both say that the other online trolls never really stopped. Unchimira still works in the president's office. And the story of Kagame's Twitter shenanigans didn't get that much attention in the region. This story was picked up by the BBC, by Washington Post, by The Guardian, and now by TLDR. And yet it was never discussed by any media outlet inside Rwanda or even in East Africa. Because the fact is that media outlets in East Africa do not discuss matters that might be offensive or embarrassing to the president of Rwanda. In the end, Kagame dealt with Steve the way you're supposed to deal with anyone who annoys you on the internet. He blocked him. Except because Kagame is a head of state, he was able to block him in real life. And here's the irony. I get a lot of flack from other journalists because I actually like Paul Kagame. There's a lot of things about him that I respect and admire. And most journalists who report on him objectively would say I'm too soft on him. And this is this is the irony is that uh, <laughs> that they've kind of – they blocked someone who was actually a supporter. I've been blocked from the country and um, I put in a, an application for a visa and it's supposed to – you're supposed to get an answer back in 72 hours and it's been 150 days, no answer. So, On the scale of reporting bombshells, it seems from an outsider that this wouldn't warrant this kind of retribution it, and it must be so devastating to you to not be able to get in. Well, journalists are imprisoned in Rwanda for their writing. Journalists are killed in Rwanda, shot in the streets. Journalists flee to other countries and then are shot in the streets in in Uganda. Rwandan journalists are. People who report things that the Rwandan government doesn't like get attacked. It's always been thought that a foreign journalist would be able to get away with a little bit more. They won't kill a foreign journalist, but they'll just block him from entering the country. And I have to say that the moment I saw that tweet from the president saying, go ahead, hero, I don't hear my phone ringing. The moment I saw that, I thought, oh, man. I'm not getting into the country. 
because you just don't get an angry tweet from Paul Kagame and then get into the country. Like anybody who's ended up on the bad side of a capricious moderator, Steve can only do two things now. Wait and hope. TLDR is hosted and produced by PJ Vote and me, Alex Goldman. Our executive producer is Kat Rogers. Our engineer is Jen Munson. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our intern is Ethan Scheel. Special thanks to Tom Rhodes of the Committee to Protect Journalists. Steve Terrell has a website called Rwanda Wire, which aggregates reporting about the country. You can find more TLDR at tldr.onthemedia.org. We tweet at A Goldmund, PJ Vote, and TLDR, and we are TLDR. Bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm.